And I'm going to ask Amy if she will come up and read our scripture reading for this evening. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be reading verses 3 through 5. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff toward his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumults and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. <clears throat> Father God, we uh, again thank you, um, God, for uh, your goodness and graciousness, God. We thank you for um, the joys uh, of this season. Um, God, we remember um, as as we come into the season that uh, there, um, with all of the good things that come along with Thanksgiving, um, God, we also recognize that there um, will be empty seats at tables and, and uh, sometimes uh, the holidays are the times where it is most keenly felt um, when when there are um, God sadness or or depression or or things like that. Um, God, we ask that you would meet um, those people, those individuals in a special way. Uh, God, that you would um, show them uh, and and let them experience the light of your presence, uh, the glory of the coming of Jesus Christ, um, the hope and the joy that we have in Him. Um, and that um, even as we even as we mourn, um, uh, God, even as we uh, God, there are things about the season uh, where we experience loss, and yet at the same time uh, we recognize uh, the great blessings that we have uh, in you and your Son. God, we thank you for uh, the way that you use this Christmas season to draw people to yourself. Um, God, we are thankful for, um, even though there are so many ways that our culture has, has, um, altered and twisted, um, uh, and, and shifted focus, the, the Christmas holiday, God, we still rec- recognize that along with Easter, there's probably no other time during the year where people's hearts are turned to Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ, that the story of, of his, uh, coming into the world, is is uh, at least in some way on the minds of of those who who don't even believe in him, and so we ask that it would be a time through um, visiting with family and perhaps going to uh, church services and and uh, God media and songs and carols, God, that all those things um, that they would point people towards Jesus Christ, that your Spirit um, would uh, would be at work um, in in the world around us. Um, awakening people uh, to the reality of Christ and drawing people to him. Father, we thank you um, for this community. We thank you for the gospel preaching and believing churches of Blount County. Um, we ask that you would continue to bless uh, and and use those churches, um, the ministries that they represent, uh, to meet needs, uh, to share uh, love and community with our neighbors, God, but most importantly, to tell them the good news um, that Christ the Lord is born and Christ the Lord is risen and Christ the Lord 
will come again. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we talk about the fact, um, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, we, we talk about the, the fact that here we are in Advent. So Advent means um, it is it is the recognition of some idea or person or something coming into the world, okay? Um, and, and so we talk about the idea that Advent is sort of a double celebration. On the one side, we celebrate Christ's first coming into the world as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, right? But we also remember or look forward to the second coming of Christ. And that is to say that one day Christ is going to return um, to gather his people to himself, to uh, punish evil, and to um, set all things to right and set up his eternal kingdom. And so we remember both of those things. But there's a danger when we think of Advent in those two ways. Um, there's a danger that we might talk about Jesus' presence with us as either something that happened 2,000 years ago, but now he's gone, or something that is going to happen in the future, we don't know when, but hasn't happened yet, but not a presence that is not here with us now, okay? And what I want to suggest to you is, is for one, that isn't true, Um it contradicts the promises of God, particularly the ones that we find in that passage that we call the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus promises that he will be with his people always, even until the end of the age or end of the world or end of the era. And so we know that Christ has promised to be with us at all times. And so what I think the case is, is this, is while there is an advent of his first coming, there is an advent of his second coming, there's also a sense in which we experience his advent on a daily basis. We experience his, uh, his advent, his coming to us on a daily basis. And the way we experience that is through the Spirit working through the Word, typically. That's not to say that there aren't maybe other ways that we could talk about, but I want to talk about the primary way that we experience the coming of Christ into our lives on a daily basis, is by his spirit through the word of God. So this passage that we are looking at, this this famous passage from Isaiah about um, about Advent and, and the coming of Jesus, um, it's a passage about the joy and the freedom that we enjoy um, through the coming of the Messiah, okay, in general. Um, and again, the, the the I want to apply it in a blessing that is not just a blessing that is something that has already taken place, not just something that is coming in the future, but something that we can live in through his word on a daily basis. And in the passages, we kind of see he zooms in, or at least tonight we're going to zoom in, in verses 3, 4, and 5 on three illustrations. All right, so he gives us three metaphors um, to, and, and really technically four metaphors, to show us the riches of the blessings that we have in the coming of Christ. And so on one level, these things are true about his first coming, and they will definitely be true about his second coming. But I want to think about them in terms of the fact that these are the blessings that we have in Christ each day as he comes to us in his word. All right? And so each, it's basically broken down verse 3, then verse 4, then verse five, uh, 5 is the are, the, are the, the sections. And so that first one is kind of this idea of this idea of, um, Effort that is rewarded and a benefit that is gained, but, but, but they are not exactly, they're not a function of each other exactly. And I, that's a weird way to say it. It's actually a terrible way of saying it. I couldn't quite get what I wanted to say, but let me try to explain it 
through the illustrations that he gives, because that'll probably be make a lot more sense. See, see this passage. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Okay? So, so he compares uh, the, the, this joy to two things. First off, he comp- compares it to the, the bounty um, of an agricultural harvest. And then he also uh, compares it to the bounty of the spoils of war, essentially. So think about those two illustrations, because those two activities have some similarities that draw us to a central kind of concept, okay? So first off, um, the, 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 uh, the, the similarity that I think, or one of the similarities that we see, is the idea of a boon of resources that are right there at our fingertips, okay? Right there for the taking, all right? So there's this idea that is being get, gotten across in verse 3 that, the blessings of Christ are right there for us, and we can take them, okay? They are ready and ample um, and, and ready to be taken, okay? So, so the first one is this idea of agriculture, this harvest illustration. I'm, I'm fascinated with large-scale agriculture, right? It, the idea of what is yielded is mind-boggling to me because, like, the only growing of stuff I've ever done is, like, you got a potted plant with a, a pepper and a couple of tomatoes or something like that, right? And it, you know, you like one salad and then you're done with the entire harvest of what you tried to grow. Um, but that's not how real agriculture works, okay? Like this cool thing happens and it's almost the way compound interest works. If you've ever, like Benjamin Franklin said, like compound interest was one of the mysteries of the universe, okay? Because what happens is one day you're looking at this field and it's a bunch of little green shoots or something. Or it's some buds on, on the trees around you. And then within a couple of months, there has been this explosion of, of produce, right? And something that is, it is, it's, when you see it, it's, it's crazy like what gets produced. So I looked up some like, just like some numbers. An acre of land can produce 42,000 pounds of strawberries. One acre of land. You got an acre. Some of y'all have acre yards. You could produce 42,000 pounds of strawberries on your, in your front yard, 25,000 pounds of potatoes. An orchard that's laid out properly could produce 20 to 30,000 apples in one acre of land. Like you just think of it, you go, man, that's incredible. Like the, the yield that is there. And again, what happens is, is you walk out one day and there is just this stuff everywhere that is right there. And all you have to do is reach out and grab it. All you have to do is take it. And, and you have this incredible harvest that has come in. Dividing the spoil in war is sort of a similar illustration that he gives. The spoils of war was one of the things that made warfare in the ancient world like actually a um, a risk worth taking for many soldiers, okay? Because there were lots of situations where you might be, you know, the king is calling for an army, but I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear because it's not like we've got an organized draft. I'm just going to hang out and not worry about it. But the deal was is you could do very well. Uh, if you survived and your army was victorious, because it's obvious what would happen. What would happen is you would have an invading army or something. There would be this big battle. And if you won, you could count on the fact that that army was going to retreat and, and be on the run from you. And what were they going to do? A, they were going to leave behind their tents. They were going to leave behind their stuff, their supplies, their horses, their uh, weapons, treasure, personal belongings. And then you were going to be able to go into what? And just 
pick that stuff up off the ground, right? You were going to walk in and find implements and tools and money. And you were going to, I mean, the, as, as sort of macabre as it is, man, you would go through the bodies and you would take the, the armor off and the weapons and the, and the things like that. But in a single day, you could like get this huge amount of wealth um, that you wouldn't have had access to. And you know what? How did you get it? You just walk around and it's laying there. Like you're like, oh, look, there's a thousand dollar sword. I'll pick that up. And there's a dude's bag of money. I'll pick that up. And here's a helmet. Here's an armor. And here's a carriage. And here's a horse. And these things that it would take me a whole year to save up in that, that kind of time to buy. And I'm just walking out with them, right? I'm taking them home. That's kind of the picture that we have of, of both the harvest and the spoils of war. So what is the picture that he's giving us? The idea is this, is that do you understand that the blessings of God are at your fingertips, right? They are right there for us to pick up off the ground. And there is a plethora, right? There is a boon of these things sitting there. The wisdom of the ages is at your fingertips. More specifically, the communication from God himself from the Lord Jesus Christ to us is sitting here every single day. We probably got 20 copies of it sitting in our house. Um, it is right there for us. And yet oftentimes we just walk by and we don't take the time to pick it up. We have this bounty by this word. We know the Lord. And so from one angle, again, you do just kind of pick it up, but I think there's another illustration there that we recognize that both in warfare and in agriculture, there is an effort that is put into it, right? And that that effort is oftentimes rewarded. A farmer that sits back and does nothing is probably going to have a smaller crop. A soldier that, that, that tries to hide is probably going to not necessarily be victorious. And so it is a treasure that is discovered, and yet at the same time, man, um, God blesses the fact when we put that effort into it. And there's something cool that probably all of us have experienced if we've been Christians for any amount of time. That point where you've put a little bit of effort in, you have sought the Lord in things, you have studied, and then all of a sudden God's word is open to you. And for a moment, you get a glimpse of the glory of God. You find this nugget of truth or something that you feel like you can hold on to, and it's going to affect the rest of your life. Um, and, and we've experienced that, right? And, and yet, so we are so easily distracted from that to where we just sort of go, man, I know there's this treasure laying all around me, and yet I'm going to walk by it as if it's nothing. And yet what are we told here? In the coming of Jesus Christ, we're applying it specifically to his coming each day in his word. We have a treasure lying around us. And so um, what I would encourage you to do is, Pick up the treasure. Receive the joy and the gladness and the multiplication and the rejoicing that is ours by turning to God in his word. There's treasure to be had there, so just go get it. It's lying there waiting for us. Follow Augustine's, the, the, the song that he heard the children singing, Tole Lege. Take up and read. Take up and read. Augustine heard the children on the other side of the wall singing that. He took it as a message from God, and he picked up the Bible, and he started reading, and what he read there converted him, right? God met him at that point, and he was converted, okay? So that's the first thing, this treasure, this bounty that we have at our fingertips. The second thing is this, is in the Word of God, as Christ meets us there, we have bondage that can be broken, 
okay? We can be freed from the things that are enslaving us. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor have been broken as on the day of Midian. So three images of something oppressive there, this thing of this yoke, right? A yoke is a, a harness that connects two animals so that they work together um, or whatever. It can also be what's called the, just the harness that you would put on one animal. Usually it's for the two, but generically it's the, it's the harness that you put on an animal so that you can steer him and make him go where you want him to. The rod and the staff are both shepherding imp- implements um, typically. Um, one is is the rod of sort of, to hit something. The other one is the staff that has a crook on it so that you can hook something and guide it and, and stuff like that. It's typically used of shepherds, but it could also be used of slave masters, slave drivers to punish and to direct um, the workers. And so yokes and, and rods and staffs are not intrinsically evil because in the hands, the Bible talks about the fact that we have a yoke laid on us um, in following Jesus Christ. Okay. The, What the Bible says, though, is that his yoke is easy and his burden is light for us. Um, And so a yoke is not, and a rod and a staff are are, are good, or they could be. It just depends on who controls them. But in this case, it's obviously negative. We're talking about an oppressive person who is, is doing that. And so certainly that would include any of the occupying nations that we think of. When we think about the Israelites and they've got all these different nations who have conquered them and are oppressing them and enslaving them, it could have been any of those. But obviously in a larger sense, a spiritual sense, he's talking about the things that yoke and enslave us in our daily lives, our sin, the work of Satan in our lives, our own flesh, our own selves that we are in bondage to, recurring patterns of sin, addiction, unforgiveness, worldliness, lack of hope, lack of faith, the things that hold us back and drag us down on a regular basis. What this passage is telling us is that in the coming of Jesus Christ, both in his incarnation, his second coming, and in his word, we can have freedom. The bondage to these things can be broken in the coming of Jesus. The rod, the staff, the yoke can be broken, and we don't have to live in light of those things anymore. Well, you might say, well, how can that be, Ashman? I have struggled so long with this sin I've been defeated by it so many times. I feel so weak in the face of this struggle. I I don't feel so weak. I am so weak in the face of this struggle. How is it that I can find deliverance in from from these things that that, uh, oppress me in my life? Well, guess what? Look at verse 4 and the way he, he says, he says, the yoke can be broken, the rod and the staff can be broken. How? As on the day of Midian. What happened on the day of Midian? Do you know what the day of Midian is? Do you remember the story from the Old Testament found in Judges chapter 6 and 7? The Midianites uh, were a, a ethnic people um, that lived on the, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula who had kind of a checkered past with Israel. So first off, they were actually distant cousins. So if you remember the story, Abraham had uh, his wife Sarah. He had his concubine Haggai, but when both of them were dead and gone, he married again and had other children who who we don't know much about, but we know their names. And one of the children was a child named Midian. And so what we find is that that these are actually the descendants. These are way back cousins of, of the Israelites. We find again that there's another connection because as the Israelites come out of Egypt, 
They come through Midian. Moses meets Jethro, remember? Actually, he met him before the Exodus, right? Jeff, he marries Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. Uh, and so there's another kind of connection with the Midianites. But despite the closeness of, of the two tribes, the, the Midianites decided that they wanted to be adversaries of the nation of Israel. And so they had invaded. They were raiding in, in um, Israelite territory. They had oppressed them and enslaved them. They were pillaging their, their towns and their people. And Israel lived in, in uh, defeat. They lived in dejection in the face of the Midianites. The Bible says they were hiding in caves and hiding in fortresses, just trying to stay alive um, from the attacks of the Midians. And when the people had called out for deliverance from God from the Midianites, God reminded them first that he was the kind of God who delivers from oppression. He was the God who led them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. And then he called a man named Gideon. Now, Gideon was a fearful, defeated man. He calls himself the least of his tribe and the least of his father's house. Okay, so he didn't, he wasn't some Alexander the Great or Napoleon or even King David. He wasn't some awesome hero. Um, he basically says, why would you want me uh, to lead your, your people, God? But Gideon raises up an army. And then what does God do? He whittles that army down. Gideon raises 30,000 troops. And God whittles it down to 300 troops. And that 300 troops surrounds the Midianite camp. And then do you remember how the defeat takes place? God says, I want you to take a torch and a clay pitcher and wait till nightfall. And I want you to light those torches and I want you to shatter those pitchers. And then you charge and the Midianites would be dispersed. And so that's what they do. And there is this, even though they are outnumbered probably 50 to 1, there's this great victory that happens for the Israelite people, supernatural victory that happens, not because of the strength of their army, not because of the leadership of some general. As the Bible would say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, God defeats the Midianites. And again, notice the, the symbolism. He does it through what? He does it through light. And he does it through broken vessels of clay. You know what else is called broken vessels of clay in the scriptures? You are. You are compared to a weak, fragile clay vessel. And so there's this neat picture there. It's a little on the nose, actually, if you think about it, is that the victory takes place supernaturally. How? By God's light working through broken clay vessels. It is a supernatural victory that takes place, but it takes place for people who need God to deliver them. So when we read in the word about the power of the word, the question is, is do we really like believe those things? Or are they just kind of those little things that your grandma, you know, writes on a stitches on a pillow or something like that, or crochets and hangs up somewhere? Are these actual things that we believe when we read the word? The Bible says that the word will not return void. Every time the word goes out, it does something. It accomplishes the purposes that God has for it. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. When we read the word, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
The Bible says that the word is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, uh, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Okay, Every single one of those statements is true. Every single one of them is a picture of the power of the word of God working in our lives. It actually does something. Or at least... That's what the Bible tells us. Whether or not we believe it actually accomplishes these things is, is, is another thing. The coming of Jesus through his word, man, can accomplish remarkable freedom from bondage. And again, I think the case is, is if we started, you know, asked people to raise hand and went around the room, you could tell stories of things that were going on in your life that, that you felt enslaved to. And then through the study of God's word, you came to a place and all of a sudden, like the lights went on um, and you recognize something that changed everything from that point. And, and the, and the power of that sin or the power of that slavery was broken in your life because of the word of God. I'm sure most of us could point to a point like that. But again, the question is, is do we expect and anticipate that the word would do that? Because I'm, I'm just like you. Okay, I wake up all the time and I open up my Bible and I read it. And by the time I get done reading, sometimes I go, I don't even remember what it said. I don't even remember where I started. It doesn't feel like it did anything. Okay, Um, that happens all the time. But there's other times where I read it and it rocks my world for the day. Right. Um, And I have to believe that even when I don't feel like it's working, it's doing something. But man, there's other days where he drops the bomb. And all of a sudden I go, man, I have met Christ today, that he has, that he has met me in his word, and I've experienced that. It's happened before. It will happen again if we are faithful to continue to turn to God's word, expecting to be freed from bondage in it. Last thing, a third aspect of this blessing that we have in Christ coming through his word. Verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So I think there's a double blessing that we see in there because there's two pictures going on. There's the picture of peace, but there's also the picture of purity that we find in this passage. So stop to consider, again, the, the final illustration, the, essentially the uniform of a combat soldier in the ancient world. So all you have to do is think about some of these movies that you've probably seen. A Braveheart, particularly, um, or, or Gladiator or something like that. And the battle scenes that are very graphic and, and horrific in, in those movies. Um, Braveheart, I have in mind particularly, there's this, there's a scene where at the end of this, this, uh, you know, horrific, violent, bloody battle, William Wallace is standing there and he is, he is covered from head to toe in blood because of the, the viciousness of, of the back and forth. Um, I mean, ancient warfare was ugly uh, and brutal, like pitch battles where you were hacking each other to death um, with weapons were awful. Hunt to thousands of people, tens of thousands of people meeting on very small places of land, you know, a couple of acres worth of land. And in a short time, that field is covered in mud, but it's not mud made by water. It's mud made by blood, right? Um, people who are just... Um, killed and the filth and the death that would have been all around you. It talks about this idea of the tramping soldier, right? What's it talking about? 
It's talking about the idea of when you're in the middle of a combat situation like that, you are walking on dead bodies, right? You are walking through the carnage as you continue to fight in this battle tumult, tumultuous, right? This, this erratic, violent conflict that is just going on all around. And that's the picture that we have. And then again, you can imagine, what would you look like after that, right? What would your shoes look like after that battle? What would your tunic look like? Well, it would quite literally look like it had been dyed in blood. But your shoes would have all kinds of stuff on them. And so what does he say is going to happen in the coming of the Messiah? He says that those implements of war, the uniform of war that has been defiled by, by the, just the nature of having to go to war, that those things are going to be rolled up. You know what we're going to do? We're not going to try to clean them. We're not going to launder them. Uh, we're not going to try to get them back to, you know, decent shape. We're going to take these things and we're going to throw them in the fire. Why? Because we're never going to need them again. We are never going to need these implements of war that have defiled us. Because the reality is, is this, man, this world has a way of defiling us, right? You get the world on you just by going around. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite quotes from a movie, you know, the, some of you guys have probably seen the usual suspects. It was a really cool movie back in the, in the nineties, but there's this great line where the guy says, when you dance with the devil, the devil don't change. The devil changes you. Okay. When we exist in this world of sin and mess and just whatever, man, we, we get a lot of that junk on us. It just kind of comes along with us. But, but we are promised today when that's no longer going to be the case. David, King David, remember the story of King David. Um, he was what? He was a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us. Um, and what did he want to do when he came into his kingdom? He wanted to build God a house. He said, I want to build you a temple, um, a dwelling place for you in the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, God. And yet he was not allowed to. God did not allow him to. Do you remember why? The Bible says, God said, you are not the one to build me a temple because you are a man of blood. You fought too many wars to be the person that builds my holy temple. Now, here's the crazy thing, man. Some of those wars were commanded by God, right? Okay. Um, they were necessary things for the king to do from everything from self-defense, to the protection of the nation. They were commanded by God for him to do these things. And yet what is the case? In some way they had defiled. Him. Okay. Like he couldn't get the blood that he had shed off of him. But in this story, what do we see is that garment that is defiled by the conflict of the world. God says, you can get rid of it now. You're not going to need it anymore. You can roll it up and you can use it as kindling because in the world that I am establishing, it's going to be a place of peace. It's going to be a place of cleanliness, purity. You're not going to have to have those things anymore. Again, I think the picture is, is this, is we have those things in the coming of Christ, incarnation, second coming, but we have them in the coming of Christ on a daily basis through his word that we can have a peace that passes all understanding as we come to his word. Man, you go through your life and you go, man, I've got so much conflict. I got these things at work and, and my integrity is, is being put in jeopardy and, and I'm, I'm being asked to do things that I don't feel comfortable doing. And, um, you know, I've got this world that just keeps on pushing on me and influences and stuff. God tells us you can have peace and purity in me. As you engage with me in my word, I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to cleanse and purify and give you a sense of peace, even in the midst of the conflict of the world. And so again, man, if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with anger, 
I have found myself more and more, which I've shared over the last few years, being more and more an angry person. It's a good reason to get rid of social media, right? I'm just more angry. God says, there's peace that you can have from these things. In my word, let me meet you in my word. Probably, again, we can all share times where we have met God in those situations, where we have experienced his presence and his peace um, and the soul-cleansing power of the word of God. To feel the gravity of the world pushing down on us and yet to know that at the end of the day, we don't have to worry about any of those things because we are in Christ and have and have what he has promised us. So, so in conclusion, all of those pictures, okay, the picture of the, the boon of blessing that we have at our fingertips, right? The picture of freedom from the things that hold us down. The picture of the peace and purity that we can find through the cleansing power of the word of God. And then the question is this, man, are we going to take advantage of it? Um, are we going to meet Jesus on a daily basis in his word? If you'd lived 2,000 years ago and God had said, Jesus is going to be born in this manger, you want to go? I hope you would go, yeah, man, I want to go. That'd be really cool. I would like to go meet Jesus today. If tomorrow Jesus returns, and I know it doesn't say it's going to happen this way, it says the clouds are going to open and we're, everybody's going to know. But let's say Jesus showed up and he was on the other side of the world and they were like, Jesus came back last night. He's over in Africa. You want to go? You know what? I'd hop the first plane over there. But the reality is, is Jesus invites you to engage with him every single day in his word, every single day. And you don't even have to buy a plane ticket. You don't have to hop on a camel and, and ride across the Middle East, okay? All you have to do is open the word of God and start reading it. And you have access to all the blessing that God provides there. So what I would encourage you is this. We're about to hit the end of the year. What happens every year? People start their new reading plan, right? Um, I hope you're going to start a reading plan. I hope you're not at the point yet where you have gone, ah, I'm not even going to try this year because I never do it, right? Because it's not about the plan. It's not about even completing the plan. That's, that's insignificant. It's cool. It's a nice thing to be able to say, oh, cool, I, I did what I set out to do. That is not what it's about. The point of it is to engage with God in his word on a daily basis. And yes, that's, it's helpful to have a plan. It's helpful to have a time set out and a place set out and a plan set out and, and some accountability there through small groups or through accountability partners or through, um, it, it sounds kind of weird. We got a little girl at church and she has an app and it tells her she goes on her app and she reads her Bible every day and she gets a, it clicks. And so she's got this thing. She's like, I'm on a 32 day streak of reading my Bible or whatever. And you're like, cool. Just the streak is not the important part. It's meeting Jesus. It's the important part. And she's like, I know, but it's nice that I have talked to Jesus every single day for the last 32 days. And I'm excited that she has done. That. So what I would encourage you to do is you got three weeks, right? Start making your plans. Start picking a time. Pick what you want to do. A great thing to do is to read the New Testament this year. I'll bet there are a number of us who have never read through the entire New Testament. I've already done the math. If you read one chapter a day, five days a week, you will finish exactly on pace. 52 weeks, you'll hit it like right on. There's like not even any extra time, maybe a day or two or something, right? You hit it right on. Five days a week, one chapter a day, and you'll have read the whole New Testament. You'll have met Jesus in the core stuff of him telling us about who he is and what he's done by the end of next year. 
Maybe you want to shoot bigger than that. Um, that's okay. Cool. That's more time to hang out with Jesus, more time to see him and engage with him. But, and it's not, it's, it's not about putting on your little merit badge where you're like, yeah, cool, you me, I read the Bible this year or whatever. It's about encountering Jesus and receiving the blessing that he has poured out and has sitting there waiting for us. Amen? So let's start thinking about that. Um, I know some of the small groups are kind of thinking already in line of those things. If you're not involved in a small group, you should be. Uh, and if you're, and if you're not, um, that certainly doesn't mean that you're off the hook from reading your Bible, right? You should still be engaging with God on a personal basis, um, uh, this coming year. So just kind of start thinking about some things. You can get online, look up plans. There's apps. There's all kinds of tools to help you do that. But the key is meeting Jesus and receiving the blessings that he has for us. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we wait with anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. Um, God, we look forward to uh, the day when uh, your son will crack the sky open, um, that he will return in power and in victory. God, bringing life to the dead and welcoming his children into their eternal kingdom. But Father, we recognize in your word that we can meet Jesus each day that we can see him and know him, that we can uh, experience the blessing that he has for us, that we can be ministered to by Christ on a daily basis. And and that is accomplished through the incredible gift of, of your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word. God, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts God, the message that we read in, in Psalms 119 at the beginning of our service, um, that is elaborated on in that longest chapter of the entire Bible about the centrality of your word, about its goodness and, and the power that it has in our life, um, to, to lead us in righteousness, God, and to, and to most importantly, so that we can know you, that we can boast not in the fact that we've, um, checked a box for the day, um, or accomplished a goal for the year, but that we have lived in fellowship with you through your word. God, help us to do that. Help us as a congregation to do that. Use your word to shape us and mold us into the people that you've called us to be. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Praise the only one.
see you guys tonight um thank you praise team i keep on meaning to mention ava thanks for playing with us um last couple of weeks um it's really cool I, I love having a piano in in the praise band and so um she's doing a great job and and you guys are always doing a great job and so um thank you for that um especially when we get to to to, to christmas carol time right like we got all these great songs that that um the piano sounds great with so thank you um i had something else I can't remember what it was. Have a great week. <laughs> Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. See you next week. Next week, um, uh, the uh, uh, Vienna is having their annual Christmas party next week. It is starting at 7 o'clock-ish, okay? So the deal is, is next week, if you wouldn't mind, well, I'm going to try to be a little quicker. Uh, you know, I'm just going to.
not, I know, it's probably not going to happen. But I'm going to try to be a little less long-winded. And then if next week you could maybe specifically kind of think, hey, I'm going to stick around and help and get this place set up quickly so that we can be out and out of their hair and, and they can get in here and do stuff. So that's, that was the thing. Thank you. Have a good night. I left my envelopes in my car and I'm possibly trading with somebody. So, it's, so I, I think it's 343. Yeah, I've got I've got it on my phone. I kept it, but I'll write it on there. Okay. So, so I wanna, when, when, like we all get together and meet We're going to. Yeah, okay. okay. We have to sit down a plane. Come over here and we'll, okay. uh, we'll look at yeah, so what we'll do is I'll send out I'll send out a message here in a couple of so you can keep in your head right. probably probably the first we're gonna get together three times right. and we're gonna so basically a third of the book for each meeting. Cool. Okay? And the first meeting I think is going to be the eighteenth of December. That's a Saturday morning. Okay. 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 Um, you can go ahead and grab a book, if okay. you, and you just bring money next week or whatever. Yeah, and that way, you go ahead and start reading. And um, oh, wait a second, James. Um, and then, yeah. And so then, just.